0: Podcast is part of the Sports Network. That was a nice sort of roundabout uh, discussion of every doomed manager in the in the Premier League. I, I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, it sounds like half of the league are in a lot of trouble, but uh, it was it was cathartic talking about it. Yeah.
2: Well, I enjoy uh, you know looking at this from afar because you know the, there are a lot of clubs that have their troubles, but it's almost like we're a sort of calm. Uh, you know oasis amongst all this turmoil so i quite like that because normally we're the ones that are in turmoil so nice to watch
0: yeah and you know and i, I feel that you know leading into black friday uh, which is now very much a thing we may have just set up the perfect podcast hi welcome to this week's Whistleblowers podcast uh, i am not martin gritton and i am not mark smith Uh, I'm Gareth Dobson. I'm afraid the other two are away on various exciting jaunts. So you get the pleasure of me, but more exciting, you get the pleasure of my two guests this week. Uh, firstly, let me introduce you to Richard Foster, esteemed author of all things, football, uh, writer for the guardian among many things, uh, Most recently, as of uh, yesterday, you've just released your sixth uh, football book, Premier League Nuggets. Yeah, I have. And my wife keeps telling me that's the last one. So this is the last one. (laughs) Promise. (laughs) And uh, also uh, delighted to be joined for the first time uh, by Sam Blackman, who is a designer, Arsenal fan, and has uh, done many weird and wonderful things with the Arsenal Stadium you may have seen.
1: Thanks very much, Gareth. Weird and wonderful. (laughs) um, Yeah i'll
0: take that yeah. <laughs> and, and just to go into that a little bit further so you have designed sort of many flags and banners that people may have seen on match days and you know giant huge images of mesut Erzil and
1: <laughs> yeah that's right Do, um done quite a few of the sort of big crowd surfing flags that you might see at the emirates also also did that one with alexis sanchez's dogs um,
0: Which is kind of famous?
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, that might be my claim to fame. I guess. So. <laughs> and
0: I, I don't want to boil you down to being a, a single uh, tweet, but you also <laughs> managed to create the uh, Rebecca Vardy V A R decision meme on Twitter. Oh yeah! Did that change your life? Uh, well, I mean, I'm on this podcast now, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so this week, it seems the most obvious thing to talk about is not the players on the pitch so much as the decision makers off it uh we are in full managerial merry go round mode for as we approach december people get a little twitchy chairman start wielding the axe uh and i was looking through the various uh games we had this weekend and trying to pick out which ones had some sort of managerial intrigue and i'm pretty sure that was was the entirety of them so it's it feels like it's, it's one of those kind of hectic periods.
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, you look at some of the bigger clubs, so Arsenal, for example, um, and Unai Emery, because I actually did the launch of the book last week and I couldn't work out who were more depressed, whether the Arsenal fans or the Tottenham fans, but they were all lining up to throw themselves out of the window. Um, it's just interesting, isn't it? Unai Emery, I, I feel part of it, and, and Sam can t- talk to you about this, is a lot of journalists I speak to, they go to his press conferences and they take the mickey out of him because his English is getting worse and worse. It's not getting better. And when you're under pressure, obviously it's difficult to talk in your second or third language. And, and they are beginning to just think he's just a bit of a, an Aunt Sally and they're just having a go at him all the time. He's clearly not got... The team united because if you think about Granite Jacker and the whole idea of having that weird thing of having five different captains and rotating them, I've never heard that, and I don't think I'll ever hear it again. But um, I, what do you think, Sam? Emery, You're is he game. is he in or
1: out? Uh, definitely out as, uh, as soon as possible, please. Um, yeah, I completely agree. The communication thing is is a big problem. Uh, I mean, yeah, his English isn't great, but I mean, I've seen some interviews with him where they've come from Spanish, his natural language. And even in the translations, it's like he doesn't really say anything. He's like almost like a politician. Like he's just going round and round and it's just not making any real sense. Uh, and I mean, if that's facts we feel like I'm sure there must be an extent of that to the players as well. They, they, they often don't really seem to know what they're doing. Um yeah he's just clearly not a good fit like I'm sure he he might work out somewhere else and I I don't really hate the guy or anything (laughs) I just it's just not working out
0: and you you were at the game on Saturday yeah Uh, in terms of the sort of crowd reaction is it increasing is it has it hit a level of
1: yeah Saturday was the moment where at least from what I've seen I've been to most of the away games uh sorry most of the home games some of the away games and uh, Saturday was the time when people really started to chant that they wanted him to leave, or booing, or, or like, you know, singing sacked in the morning. And that haven't heard that since, well, a couple of years ago when people were doing it to Arsene Wenger. But it yeah it does seem to have reached a point now where everyone is sort of united that he needs to go. It feels, and, it feels
0: untenable.
1: It, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's overdue, really. And I guess people hoped that the board... And uh, Rouse and Leahy, director of football, would have made the right decision by now, but doesn't seem to be any movement. So I guess there's that sort of a feeling from the fans that we need, maybe we need to tell you that, you know, we're not happy. Just just so we're He's clear, not sure. it's not going that great. <laughs>
0: it's, and I, I guess, is there a sense of, you know you just know that you don't want him to remain. Is there a sense of who you might want to bring in? Is there an idea of you know, how things would change? Is it at this point more a case of this is the wrong guy, we just need to stop and move on?
1: Yeah, I, it's, you've got to, you've, you feel like it's kind of anybody but would be better, but I mean, I don't really know who. I couldn't really name your name. Thankfully, that's not my job to no. <laughs> give you a name who, but yeah, like I said, the, the, it doesn't feel like whatever Emery's vision is, is getting through to the players or it's getting through to the players and it's completely wrong. Uh, and it's just, you know, this is our, this is Arsenal's worst start since 1982. We are kind of, I think we're like 20, 20 odd points off of the top, but that's not our target, but we're like eight points off the relegation zone. And it's, it's, it's the football's boring and it's just bad. Uh, so yeah, I mean, even if we just brought in the caretaker, at least someone who can communicate with the players, and the players will listen, uh, listen to, it, understand, and just something a bit fresh, something different. It's just it's it's really,
2: really bad. <laughs> well, it's amazing how quickly it goes stale, isn't it? Because yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, Emery joined in May 18. Funnily enough, Silver joined Everton in May 18, and Pellegrini joined West Ham in May 18, So it's not a good time to join a club because all three of of those have got the sword of Damocles hanging over them. Uh, But, you know, as you say, it's gone stale in a very quick time because he was there, you know, obviously he built his reputation out of Seville and, you know, he's obviously at PSG, which is a pretty incredible uh, big club to be at. And then suddenly it just didn't work, did it? It, it, he, He never really looked an Arsenal manager to me. He just looked a little bit sort of... I don't know, just didn't look comfortable, didn't look as though he had the players and he could turn them around and say, right, we're going to do this.
1: Yeah, and it's probably for the players quite a contrast from Arsene Wenger, whose, his sort of philosophy was to make the players happy and want them to express themselves on the pitch and don't worry about the opposition, just focus on you playing the sort of game that you want to play And you know, If you're happy, you're playing well. This kind of stuff, Emery, is the complete opposite of that. So that must have been quite a shock to the players, but you know, at, at the beginning, it looked like oh, this might work because you know one of Arsenal's problems under Wenger was that we never looked at the opposition and they would turn us over because we yeah. didn't have a clue what they were going to do. And it started to work at the bit of the last season, um, but towards the end of last season and and obviously this season as well, it's just it's clearly not working. Um, we're too focused on the opposition. We we we're allowing. No, Southampton, I think we almost let them 30 shots. And you know, teams like Watford, we, they, we conceded over 30 shots. And this is the theme now. Our shots differential is completely swung the other way to how it was before Wenger. And it was just now we seem to concede about 20, 30 shots a game and hope they don't score that many goals. And in reply, our attack isn't. Cohesive either, so it's it's a bit of a bad mix.
0: It's uh, yeah, it's, it's not a great philosophy, I guess. I, in terms of available managers, um, there's this guy called uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, um, you may have heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: like looking at it, sort of without my heart, he would be a, he'd be a great fit. He's someone that has delivered top four football uh, for you know multiple seasons. He's he's good at working with youth. Players, uh, he—he's proven in the Premier League. Like you know, he'd be—he would be a good signing. I'd, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Arsenal fans, would take him. They—I don't think they're bothered about him being the Tottenham manager. I—I I just don't think that Pochettino would do it. I just—I don't know. I think—I think that he loved Tottenham. I don't think yeah. that he would do it. And I don't think they left on that bad terms, from what I see. But
0: no, I suspect that <clears throat> it was a fairly natural sort of and even though it was an abrupt end, it was something that I think, you know, both parties possibly went into summer thinking it could happen. Uh with, with Pochettino I suspect this is going to be his great chance at one of those incredible, you know, top four or five clubs in the world and that's not to mm. do a disservice to a you know team like Arsenal. But we're talking about, you know, that elevated tier of, you know, yeah. Real Bayern Munich and you know, both clubs who may be looking for Managers very shortly. Well, Bayern Munich don't have a manager; they have a they have an interim. And you know, obviously, uh, Zidane is in a strange second spell at, at Real. So, <clears throat> I'm guessing that Pochettino is probably gonna gonna bite his time. But uh, and obviously, that segues quite nicely into you know the first game of of the weekend when Spurs had their their new Messiah, um, one of the more controversial figures in. I was going to say sport, but may- maybe just general media. Even even people who don't particularly like football seem to yeah. have a strong opinion. My <clears throat> my dad uh, texted me uh, ahead of the game. And was like, you know, good luck with a uh, good luck with the game. Don't like that guy. <laughs> my dad does not follow football really. You know, he yeah. he checked out a while ago. But even he decided some time ago that Mourinho is not to his taste. But obviously, you know, Mourinho is a PR. Uh, driving master you know he's spent the, the three or four days ahead of the game creating this floral vision of the for new Mourinho you over know, happy go lucky humble just pleased to be here I'm here for this team not for myself um, did you either of you see much game I'm guessing you were in Highbury
1: um, I watched the first I fifth, yeah I watched the first 15 minutes or so um, hey, you saw the good bits then? Yeah, I saw West Ham's absolutely tragic
2: goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, I did notice, actually, West Ham fans, when he was gathering the ball later in the game, they were actually cheering him, yeah. <laughs> ironically. And I think he's got to be possibly the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen in the Premier League. I know it's a big shout. It is a huge and shout. And also wearing tights. You just don't get away with that anymore. He was wearing tights. no. He was mm. you didn't see any of his legs, he was wearing little green tights it, it he's really, obviously he should be in a pantomime like a Jack and the beanstalk or something, and it is not a
0: goalkeeper any confidence when you see a, a goalkeeper I, I always remember Dimitri Karin of Chelsea yeah. had, had simmer, and there was a couple of uh, Crystal Palace keepers who to Karai, just he used in his buttons. jogging bottoms and um, you yeah. and they were always muddy and you thought he doesn't look great, but it's uh, yeah so spurs you know seem to start brightly and fade away and it's 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 clearly a tricky one because it might be that West Ham are currently the worst team in the Premier League. Well,
2: I would say on that performance, they're probably pretty close to it. They were clueless. And not one of their players looked actually that bothered until Antonio came on at Mm. half-time. And he did actually look quite good. And he obviously scored a goal. And he gave a bit of energy. But the rest of them... I mean, Yarmolenko might as well have been in Kiev because he just didn't look like he wanted to be there and he was just drifting around. And you can tell that atmosphere is changing at West Ham because obviously they had the problems when they first moved there and it didn't go very well. But now I, I can't see Pellegrini lasting very much longer because you know he spent quite a bit of money turning yeah. that team around.
0: And, and there was high hopes going it. into the season, especially oh, yeah. with the attacking unit.
2: But Fabianski, as soon as he got injured, they, they're knackered because... Yeah. They brought in Roberto, they've got this guy, the other goalkeeper who was at Millwall last season, so I'm not sure he's that great. No. And they just don't look at it at all. You know, Felipe Anderson's meant to be a great player. I don't, I don't see it. I don't Haller up front, just not really that. They've got no impetus, they've got no drive. They've got, they, they're characterless. And you know when you watch a team and they're characterless, you think, they're in trouble. And okay, so they could turn it round, but they need to change the direction of that club quite quickly
0: but I mean this is the perpetual issue with with West Ham. It seems in that you know new managers come and go, and it feels that there 's a fundamental lack of ability at the top of the club to really you know find a direction and, and stick to it it 's you know amassing these attacking players over the last few years. It felt like maybe this was their new philosophy. they were going to be you know this attractive club who can fill this large stadium and Um, it's not worked out. And you wonder whether it's then going to be a reactionary thing where, you know, I was going to say Sam Allardyce, he's probably not top of the list, but you know, are they going to end up going back on themselves and, and bringing in that harder manager to sort of be tactically strong. And apparently one of the knocks on uh, Pellegrini is that he's not a details person. And that can sometimes come through. So it's it's tricky, and you, know, I, I, I do wonder how long you know West Ham fans can go before they just lose patience with their with their chairman as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's
2: a pretty poisonous atmosphere at the moment, to be frank. And when you get fans turning against you, it's very difficult to turn it round because you know you may get the odd result, but you know they've had quite an easy fixture list up to now, and they've got some really tough fixtures coming up. So I think they have. Chelsea, I think they've got Arsenal and a couple of other big teams in the next
0: couple of weeks. And looking at them on Saturday, I don't see them getting much out of it. So, Sam, yeah, maybe we could shift Pochettino to Arsenal, move Emery to West Ham. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Emery would do all right at a club like West Ham or,
1: you know, Everton will be in the market with someone soon. Yeah we're playing both of those teams soon so i would love to see him on the opposite bench i wish him well
0: but uh, no not a thing <laughs> okay that's uh, it for the first half in the second half we will go and discuss more endangered species if you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct something that's less mr bean and more steve mcqueen Cooler.bike e-bikes that are cool AF
2: Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbotts, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast,
0: wherever you get yours. OK, and we're back for part two and uh, looking at uh, Sunday was probably the game of the weekend with uh, Manchester United at Sheffield Wednesday, a 3 all draw, where uh, I think, in fairness, Sheffield United probably comprehensively outplayed Manchester United, better management, better tactics, and, and somehow Manchester United sort of clung on, which is maybe a nice metaphor for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sort of clinging on to his, his position at Manchester United.
2: Yeah, well, um, being a bit of a stat and nerd, I looked at the uh, respective managerial records of David Moyes at Manchester United and Oddie Goldner Solskjaer. And Moyes, he was in charge of uh, Man United for 51 games, of which they won 26, drew 10 and lost 15. Solskjaer's been in charge for 48 games. He's won 25, he's drawn 10, he's lost 13. Moyes was sacked at that point. So you're thinking, is this the end of Solskjaer? I don't think it is because he's obviously got that romantic attachment having been the player who, you know, got them the Champions League final in that famous game in Barcelona in 1999. Which he won't reference. Never. Never. (laughs) And, And, you know, there's always this connection, isn't it? You've had it at your clubs with a player who used to play for you. I mean, we had Alan Pardew, God rest his soul. You know, he was revered as a player, although he wasn't very good. As a manager, he came, he did a really good job for six months and then it really went horribly wrong. And for me, Solskjaer as soon as he was made permanent manager, it all seemed to go badly wrong, didn't it? because he had that incredible start.
0: Yeah. The first two months seemed great. He won
2: every away game for about 10 games and everyone thought he's the Messiah. Oh no, he's a naughty boy. He just, I don't see how being a manager at Mulder, who no one really knows who they are. And Cardiff city qualifies you for being the manager at Manchester United.
0: And Cardiff was an unmitigated disaster as well. well of course it was. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, no, I, I I agree with what you're saying. It's and it was he I don't know whether he puts on a brave face or he's in denial, but he didn't seem particularly aware after the game based on his comments that yeah, his team took a hiding. He oh, for talk, seventy minutes they were being thrashed. They could have been four down. He talked about going in half time and just saying, I just told him to run about a bit more and um it, you know, that that's not the sort of inspirational things you, you master you tactician to, master run tactician. around a bit more look from, sweaty i assume he just told them a story about you know 99 and all yeah. that yeah yeah um the comeback got Nicky button to sort of deliver a rousing speech yeah. um but yeah the 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 not the hometown hero the, the the you know the the hero of your club from the playing days is you know obviously a obviously a thing Manchester united fans seem to be willing to see where it's going to go but it, it already feels that it's a journey that's probably going to end at the end of the season. You know, the the club came out and made fairly strong uh, you know statements that you know we believe in Solskjaer and you know we we have a team we're trying to develop and uh, Solskjaer himself mentioned brought up the age of the players who are playing on at the weekend which to an extent is valid but uh, it also feels like you know something of an excuse or something of a narrative he's happy to pedal in light of actually uh, you know, pulling out results. But then, you know, it, it, and it's the same deal we were talking about with, with West Ham that, you know, the question is if they go and replace Solskjaer at some point, which you assume eventually they will, you know, fundamentally what will change the club? You know, it's uh, the chairman, Ed Woodward is the one who, you know, people always point out as maybe being the biggest issue in terms of how he deals with player transfers and, and selecting targets and, and how quickly you can bring them in. So it's, you know, and, I mean, Sam. Going back to Arsenal, it's you know two clubs who are both owned by foreign interests, who both seem to have you know much more of an onus in running a steady ship and taking money out of the club than necessarily pushing the clubs on.
1: Yeah, that that definitely seems to be Stan Kroenke's motive. Anyway, just keep things ticking along, keep the money coming in, and not really challenge. You know, not be that amb- ambitious. Uh, I mean like Arsenal have spent money and Man United have spent a lot of money too but it doesn't really seem like there's that ambition to challenge for what well, the title is a long way off but you, you know we're we're both clubs that are stagnating under these uh American owners um it doesn't really Seem like there's any end in sight for either team, either. Like, is this you know we could this could be us for the next ten years or so? I don't, I
0: don't really. I'm not know. smiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, and it, that's the thing, and it's um, it does feel a, a big problem when you're swapping the deck chairs around and the Titanic. And yeah, it's obviously extreme to imply that you know Manchester like and Arsenal that, uh, are sinking ships, but they're definitely. Uh, not going anywhere, any great knots.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, you do have to give a lot of credit to Sheffield United, who yes. I think any fan would say, at the start of the season, nailed on, go down, won't won't get anywhere near it. And, you know, they're proving everybody wrong. They haven't been beaten away yet. They play a different brand of football to a lot of other teams. OK, so it's reasonably robust, but it's not Warnock robust. No. And they play some nice football, they've got some nice football... You know, they move it around midfield. And, you know, all credit to Wilder. I think he could well be manager of the season. If they keep going like he is, it's a very impressive thing to do. And, you know, they've got no stars in there. You know, no one goes, oh, we will have him or him, you know, Fleck or Lundström. No, not really. But... He's, and Jackie Elker was playing. I, was, I thought he yes, retired about is, 100
0: years ago. Yeah. Almost unfathomable. And, no, I mean, Lundstrom is one of those names that we're... It's great. you know, We're learning names of <clears throat> new players who we might not necessarily have uh, had any idea who they were last season. And that's one of the magic... In many ways, they remind me of Bournemouth. Uh, not in terms of playing style or tactically perhaps, but in the sense of there's this group of players, this you know, nucleus who've come up through you know, multiple divisions for some of them in Bournemouth's terms, mm-hmm. and they've been playing together for a long time. And yeah, you, know, you can see that there is very much still the notion of a team in football is a valid thing rather than, you know, a collection of the most expensive players or in theory, the most talented players. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's great. It's, it's slightly hokey to say, you know, you know, Chris Wilder, you know, he's proof that you can still do it on a shoestring or you can still do it if you're a good manager or a good manager of men. But you know, it's good and it's great. And yeah, it gives it probably gives hope to a lot of teams, um, and it's you know, in terms of an organised club who are doing well, it, it's probably the exact opposite of you know of our next poor souls, which are, which are Everton um, and Silver is the manager, who, which seems to be uh, the one who's likely to go soonest. Um, it was I think it was reported earlier today that he's expected to take charge of. Uh, the team for the next games, but you do wonder if that's because they've looked at the fixture list and you know the next few games aren't good. No, I mean they
2: lost at home to Norwich, which is quite an achievement, since Norwich had only scored one goal away from home, you know, in their first six games, and that was when they lost four-one at Liverpool. And you've got to think they scored twice. Everton spent. Uh, I saw this as well. Everton spent 117 million in the summer. And they bought Alex Iwobi for twenty-six million of that, which I think surprised a lot of people. Yes. Uh, and Moisés Keane, who hasn't really kicked on. Do you know how much Norwich spent in the summer? I'm gonna say less than an one million pounds. Oh. So it's hundred and seventeen to one. Uh, you know, and Norwich, as I said, you know, their away form had been terrible up to that point. They'd only scored one goal, and they. Looked like they were fairly comfortable beating Everton at Everton. And, you know, Everton were meant to be kicking on again this season. Silver's been there since May 18. I don't see it. I, I know a few Everton fans and they are fed up to the back teeth. But as you say, their next six games are horrendous. They've got Leicester away, they've got Liverpool away, they've got Chelsea, they've got Arsenal. I mean their easiest fixture is Burnley which is not an easy fixture I might argue
1: that it's actually Arsenal oh sorry yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. insider knowledge though Um, actually uh, I mean Moyes Keane is obviously the headline writer's dream in terms of the the suggestion that um, David Moyes may be the man to come back in to Everton which, which feels like a club that's just sort of looked back over the last decade and a half said when was it good um, because obviously, since uh, Moyes has left, it's it's been not not necessarily disastrous, but there's been a lot of false dawns or sort of ideas that it was looking for. And like you said, there was you know new owners came in and they invested heavily in the club. Um, people like Richarlison, who I think is a good player, but you know they spent south of fifty million pounds on him, mm. um, and to you know essentially invest all that money into a squad which now looks lopsided. Uh, particularly poor at the back, Yeri Mina is a bizarre player when he plays. Mm. I mean, for someone that big and that strong, he doesn't see. Essentially, it was also... It seemed like they, they bought him to score goals based on his World yeah, Cup Yeah, that's not, that's not really a great idea as yeah, a center Yeah, I'm not sure a centre-back should ever be purchased for his goal-scoring prowess. I mean, maybe they wanted to replace Jagielka, who uh, has, has weighed him a few time. But yeah, the, the signings always seem strange. They always seem to have an absolute you know surplus of of wide attackers they you know brought in aaron lennon they brought in yeah. uh walcott and then they bring in awobi like you said there's and as well as uh, from crystal palace they spent almost 30 million pounds on on balassi yeah. who you know, unfortunately got injured but it never felt like a brilliant signing at the time
1: it feels mm-hmm. like every year yeah. This, this is the season where Everton break into the top six or, or top eight or whatever. Like it feels like every year, no, this is it. Finally, the time has come. But every season, it seems like they've just disappointed even more. It's mm. like it's quite incredible, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought the Uobi signing was a decent signing, but but maybe I'm a bit biased. But yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Um, yeah, you talk about the defense as well. Jordan Pickford was. You know, he was England's keeper nailed on last tournament. The tournament coming up in the summer, I'd, I'm not sure who will be the keeper.
0: I think no, that... it's telling, I think, that uh, Nick Pope got uh, mm-hmm. got a run out. And even though it was a you know a game that wasn't good at the side or anything, it's interesting that he chooses to blood him then. Um, yes, he's definitely had a, a poor run of form. And also, I think he ended up being England's goalkeeper almost de facto, as mm-hmm. opposed to necessarily winning it fully on fully on merit but i you know and I, I keep harking back to the idea of whoever you know if silver goes whoever comes in i think that maybe along with west ham feels like the biggest single job where a manager might just look at it and be like i i don't really know what what yeah. i'm meant to be doing here like what are, are we turned, trying to do it's what like am I turning doing around here? an ocean
2: line yeah. it's gonna take a while you're gonna have to change the players you don't have time in football. You know, the average length of a managerial spell is now something like one year and nine months in the Premier League, which, you know, now we've lost, you know, the likes of Wenger and Ferguson over 20 odd years. That will never happen again. And you just can't, you don't have time to do it. So these guys, as I said, you know, they all joined in May 18. We're now in November 19, 16 months down, 18 months down the line. They're going to be gone.
0: Yeah. Um, not a great state of affairs for seemingly half the Premiership. And uh, you're a Crystal Palace fan. Um, um, indeed, yeah. Uh, who, you know, not having, not having your best season, you've had a tough run of games. Well, we, you know,
2: we got to that point where we were playing all the teams that were above us, mm. you know, one after the other. And, you know, it was tough. So we did manage to sneak a two-all draw at uh, Sam's Club. But other than that, Bit unlucky to lose Liverpool, but Man City, we gave them too much time, too much. Uh, you know, if you give Man City too much time and room, they're going to kill you. Chelsea, we never look really in it. But that fiction list is now done, and now we've got relatively easy six games to then kick on. But we're always at that stage where we're slightly worried about relegation. We're never going to be that comfortable, I don't think. Unless we have a complete change of, you know, uh, financial input or something, we're always going to be that team that's just hovering in mid to lower table.
0: And there, there, there is some talk of potentially new investment coming in. Um, yeah,
2: so Iden Offer, who's an Israeli businessman, who has. think it's the third stake of atletico madrid and he's got um, a team in portugal which has just got promoted so he's rumored to be behind a 250 million pound takeover which would be yeah i mean money is not something you turn down and the fact is that he apparently will keep steve parish as his figurehead which i think is important because i think parish has He's he's got his critics, but he's got the club at heart. And and, you you want someone who actually believes in the club rather than thinks of it as an investment tool or a personal vanity project. And Parish does believe in that club. So if it happened, uh, you know, a lot of that money is going to be earmarked for infrastructure because our infrastructure is probably one of the weakest in the Premier League in terms of our ground and our academy. So a lot of money would go into that, but... I'd be very happy to see that money come in as long as they didn't upset uh, the general spirit of the club. You know, you look at West Ham in the old days and they were, you know, proper East London club. And, you know, they had that amazing atmosphere at Upton Park. They're now playing in that soulless stadium at Stratford. And, you know, you just think, I, would, I don't think I'd really want to be a
0: West Ham fan at the moment. It's a long way from Billy Bonds and Bolins. It is, yeah. Um, and in that's probably uh, all we've got time for this weekend. Before we go, uh, one question I, I posed to you ahead of time was sort of any dream managers for your club? Let's say, you know, Roy Hodgson, hopefully he'll be managing the club for another 10 years, but. Oh, is, at least 10. At least Possibly 10. Possibly
2: 20 until he gets to 92, and
0: then he might retire. Has there been any iconic managers from history that you've particularly loved? Well,
2: I mean, Guardiola. Is clearly an incredible manager, uh, and I, I think he improves players. Uh, but I've got to say, I think Wenger is the one... I'd have a mix of Guardiola and Wenger, because Guardiola had lots of money. Wenger managed to tease out quite a good team from you know not having a great deal of money. So a sort of Wenger-Guardiola hybrid. They wouldn't get on no but they're merged, <laughs> but they're, they're, merged. they're not going to have to live next to each other they just merged how about
0: you sam you, you get your you may have your opportunity coming soon do you have a dream manager for your club uh,
1: this is really annoying because i have written down in front of me that uh mentioning wenger and guardiola but i'm gonna do <laughs> I'm it i'm really anyway. sorry
0: about that
1: <laughs> Brilliant. um like i guess i naively thought a few years ago when he, when guardiola was at bayern i thought oh a nice Next step for him could be Arsenal because Benge'll be leaving soon. Like it's a, it's a, the transition of football won't be too different, and it'd be a good challenge for him not to just go to a club that are established at the top of their division. But obviously, he went to Man City. But you know, I think I think that his time at Man City is probably coming to an end soon. Like he could he could True. maybe pick up that Arsenal, take a year off, job. jump back yeah. into London. I couldn't take another year of Emory though. We'd have to get someone in between, <laughs> but. um yeah, I, it's really hard to say who that I'd want next, but yeah, why not? I'll just say Guardiola.
0: No? <laughs> Works for me. I'd quite like a, a exciting young manager called Pochettino. He's Ooh. got great things on his rise. I'd love to mm, see him at Spurs. Yeah. yeah.
2: What's he uh, doing now?
0: Uh, apparently he's uh, on a jet ski somewhere, <laughs> enjoying himself. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <clears throat> Richard, your book, Premier League Nuggets, uh came out yesterday. It's a compendium of... Amazing facts and information about all 49 teams who've played in the Premier League? All 49 teams,
2: including the likes of Barnsley, Oldham and Swindon. So, you know, they're they're all in there and they, they get enough coverage. So, you know, you could obviously write a lot about Manchester United and Arsenal, but I've tried to be even and write about all 49 clubs in the same sort of way, although clearly you have to write about a club that's played 27 seasons, a little bit more than you have for your one season wonders.
0: And a foreword by Martin Tyler.
2: The very same, yeah. And he calls it uh, something about being perfect for the football fan because it's got tidbits of trivia, which is something I'm going to have on a T-shirt. And the next time I come on this pod, I'll be wearing that T-shirt. Which
0: is all we care about at the pubs. So <laughs> yeah. tidbits and trivia is everything. Sam, do you uh, have any exciting Arsenal projects coming up?
1: Um Well, hopefully, maybe I have a nice new uh, manager welcoming. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, Yeah. there'll be confetti, fireworks, flares, the lot. It will all be there. Um, But yeah, nothing nothing planned as yet.
0: Well, I'll I'll, I'll hit you up in a week. (laughs) Great stuff. Thank you very much, both of you.
2: This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sport Social Podcast Network.